presence. I want you to hear this. I see you walking in this beautiful, it's like a rolling hills, green. It looks like whales. And I see this person come to you. And they escort you into this castle. walk in and there's such a celebration that you have arrived and God has this message for you tonight he wants me to tell you this all of us read about the Hebrew prophets and the great exploits they did None of us can share their authority. But God wants me to tell you tonight, you're going to share the heart of a prophet. Because you feel what God feels. You feel His cry for His people. And despite all the things that you have to navigate your life Because it seemed like I, you were kind of going downstream and there were, there were islands in the way. But I saw the current of God's Spirit. In other words, He's not going to let you have a crash landing. He's not going to let you. Because any, sometimes even when you feel like you're drifting, you're not drifting. God's Spirit is guiding you. Because in this season of your life, He's unveiling His heart to you. He wants me to tell you this word. Because you share my heart, I will share the secrets of the kingdom to you. Lift your hands. The power of God's going to heal you right now. Father, from the top of your head to the soul. There it is. The presence of God is all over you. Touch you. Right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Shukriya. For there is a stirring in my heart, says the Lord. There is a stirring in my heart for those who have said, enough is enough. There is a stirring in my heart for those that have pursued righteousness in the midst of their own personal weakness. after me because you are after what I am after 
overcome everything that you are facing. For my sons and daughters, hear this word tonight. You shall share in the rewards of the overcomer. Because you love me. Because this church is not a loveless church, but a church filled with passion for God. What I will do was I will keep your lamp burning. What I will do I will remove the guard on the tree of life and I will allow you to eat the fruit of the tree of life. For without love, no one can eat the tree of life. For all of my life flows out of love, says the Lord. As I told Peter three times, do you love me more than these? I am calling forth the people that love me more. That love me more. I am calling the people to feed this state, to shepherd this state. But you say, how can I love you like that? I say, don't look at the level where you're at. Look at the level that I'm bringing you up into. Lift your hands right now. The power of God is in this place right now. Jesus, tonight, as the word is preached, tonight, as the word is proclaimed, I pray, oh God, that this church, this people that hears this message, would become a part of them and not only would it be bring transformation to us but it would bring transformation to everything around us in the name of Jesus you may put your hands down you may be seated in the presence of God before I share the word tonight I'm going to have to tell you that I get her introduced again, my lovely wife, Meliana. She's going to come and greet you. Give her a hand as she comes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to speak this prophetically. I believe that Casey, Alaska is going to continue to house the presence of God here. Amen. And all its extension, just just lift up our hands and Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, that's our desire, oh God, that without your presence in our midst, oh God, we can't do anything. But we desperately need your presence, oh God, that we are willing to house your presence here. We are willing to carry your presence wherever we go, oh God. And I thank you, Father. I praise you, God. I worship you, God. We worship you, God. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We welcome you again here tonight. Lord, I thank you for for your word that we have heard this morning. The first two services this morning, our heart rejoiced, oh God, because of your word brought life, oh God, into our heart, into our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that your word will bear much fruit, oh God, in our lives, in our family, and everyone that we come in contact with, oh God. And 
I thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Father, for all the miracles, healings, oh God, in the body. But here we are again tonight, Lord, in your presence, people, oh God, that are full of need, needs of from you, Jesus, that only you can meet, can meet those needs, Lord. Therefore, we welcome you again here, Holy Spirit, to come and have your way, oh God. Come and speak to us again. Change us, oh God, through your word as we give you all the glory and honor to glorify your name, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God. Give Jesus a big hand clap. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. Before I'm going to go sit down at this testimony have been on my heart and I wanted to share it before my husband come up because it blessed me so much and I got to share it many times. Uh, last year we were in a church for about a week in, in Noco, California and we were holding, in fact we were in that church uh, I think in 2010, we were supposed to be there again. We were supposed to be there for a few days, three days, and we ended up staying in that church for a month. But anyway, the same church, we were back there last year, and we were there for five days, uh, for a week, yes. And I remember on Sunday, the very day, first day that we were at this church, uh, he gave the altar call for people to come up for a healing and people came up to the front, and as we were ministering over the people, I remember there was a young man, I found this out after, there was a young man who stood way in the back, he couldn't come up to the front, he stood over there by himself, uh, looked like he's on his uh, early 20s, come to find out he's 21, he was uh, just standing there, and nobody lay hand on him, nobody prayed for him, but he just stood there weeping, crying, had no clue what was going on. And we continued on praying for people. So finally when we were done, uh, and we noticed a young man stood over there crying, so my husband asked the, the youth pastor to please go up there and find out what's going on with him, why he was just standing over there crying. And Ethan did not know that Ethan have been suffering from uh, neuropathy. You know, when you start losing your feeling from your waist down, okay? And this young man, from what I think my husband is going to come to help me to explain it, we did this so many times. We're Glory a, to God. We're we him. We are a team. So when he will find well, out what happened, well, that I missed. And then I'll sit down. Okay. <laughs> Ethan was suffering from a condition. Ethan was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Ethan is not supposed to be alive. It's diagnosed by doctors. Ethan's 21 years old. He has some learning disabilities, but by God's grace, he graduated from high school. Well, last year, they had planned a missions trip to Belize. Ethan um, all of a sudden started losing feeling from his waist down yes. neuropathy. And Ethan, at 21 years old, was also wearing a diaper. Yes, yes. He was wearing a, a diaper because he's that, his condition was getting worse and worse and worse. So anyway... And so the, uh, the youth pastor went up come to, to find out why was Ethan was crying. Ethan said, my toes is itchy. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Here is a young man. And not only that, they were getting ready because he lost his feeling from his waist down. They were getting ready to put him on a wheelchair. And, and not only that, the following, following, uh, no, in August, all their uh, young adult, the, their youth group in that church, they were planning a youth trip to Belize. And 
Ethan wanted to go so bad, but he can't go because of his situation. But that morning, God touched Ethan, healed him completely from his waist down. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But the awesome thing is nobody was praying for him. Nobody. He was just standing over there. That's why it's so important, church, that we need to allow the presence of God to come and dwell in our midst. Because he's the only one can touch us, can touch people, and change people. It's only by God himself. Amen. But let me tell you what the joy that I saw on Ethan. And not only that, the awesome thing is the very next day is Monday. Ethan had a scheduled appointment to see his doctor. The very next day, Monday, Sunday, God healed him from his waist down. Monday, he has to go see his doctor. His mom took him to the doctor. One thing I can tell you, the testimony, but another thing of hearing it from the doctor. Amen. <laughs> so anyway, they went to the doctor the very next day, and his mom called the pastor, called us, shared on Facebook what the Lord had done. The doctor could not believe what God had mean. He, she didn't think that it was God healed him, but Ethan told him, Doc, God healed me yesterday at church. That's why I have the feeling because he's not hitting his knees. You know, she's not hitting his knees, hitting all over his toes, you know. And Ethan got feeling all over his body again. And guess what happened? Ethan, this past, this past August, Ethan got to travel to Belize with his youth group. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's why I just want to encourage you. Let's house his presence here in our midst. Let's house his presence in every extension here in Alaska. Listen, it's much easier when his presence show up. He do the job. We just get to enjoy it. Amen. Praise God. Give Jesus a big hand clap. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Ethan's pastor was with us at the coast a week and a half ago, reminding us of that testimony of God's healing. But the interesting thing is, when Ethan had the neuropathy, he would break his toes all the time. It wouldn't feel a thing. But not only did God heal Ethan's neuropathy and give him feeling back, but God healed all his toes too. <laughs> oh, God's good. I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Mark the 10th chapter. Because I'm going to preach to you a little bit. A revelation that God gave me. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I've got the NIV and the King James with me. There are some translations I like with the New King James and the NIV. I haven't graduated to the message yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Mark chapter 10. Excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. This is what it says. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And I don't know if some of you got that. Can you imagine coming to God, the Son of God, and walking up to Him 
with this boldness and walking right up to Jesus and telling Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That is a crazy prayer. What would give them the courage and the boldness to have the gall to walk up and tell Jesus and talk to the Son of God like that? Unfortunately, usually when that's preached, if the mind is not renewed, some people would think that James and John are arrogant. Who do you think you are? Asking God for whatever you want. The church, I know why they had the courage and the confidence to ask God for whatever they want. Because you know what? We don't walk with God year after year after year and not living in an atmosphere where He begins to create in us the confidence to go to Him and ask Him for anything. And He is not intimidated by your prayer request. And what we need to understand tonight is that we need to start asking God for crazy things. For things that nobody's thinking about. We need to have the boldness to walk up to God and say, God, I don't know if anybody's asked you this before, but I want you to do something for me that nobody's asked. Why? Tell you why. They had been somewhere. And besides, for them to ask this is biblically correct. Because the Word of God says, if you abide in me and my Word abide in you, ask what you wish. Oh, come on, church. Don't get religious on me. How dare you, preacher, tell me that I can ask Jesus whatever I want. You know what? I want to tell you something tonight. God wants us to start asking for bigger things. I, I, I just got a text from a pastor friend of mine that, that, that he got so touched by revival that when I went to his church in Utah, now he's got a little, he, he, he's got, he's in a little town of 3,000. It planted a seed. He sent a text to me yesterday that he invited Carmen, and Carmen said yes. Now, who would think that Carmen would come to Beaver, Utah, out in the middle of nowhere? Well, I'll tell you, because he had the courage to ask God anything, and because God, we can ask God anything, God would open the door. Oh, church. It's where we're living that gives us the courage to ask for the impossible. Where had they been, church? What happened before Mark 10, before this incident? They had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. (laughs) Oh, church. They had walked up there with Jesus. And they saw the glory of God. They heard the audible voice of the Father. And they heard the Father say, say, This is my Son, who I am well pleased. Listen to Him. If there's somebody I'm going to ask something to do, it's going to be Him. Listen. You got to make it your prayer in 2012 that I'm going to start asking God for stuff that most people would think that I'm prideful. That most people would think that I am arrogant. No. I'm not arrogant. I'm not prideful. I just know who I'm asking. (laughs) I just know what he can do. 
he can do anything. And the father spoke audibly, and his face was transformed. And I've been walking with him all these years. And I, and because we have entered into a lifestyle of miracles, not an occasional miracle, that's the person I want to ask. Now, I noticed Jesus' response. <laughs> it's amazing. He says, he doesn't rebuke them. Oh, you arrogant disciples. You need to go and humble yourself before me. Who do you think you are asking me that? You know what he says? What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) If he was there to correct them, he wouldn't have responded that way. He wouldn't have told them, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, you know what he just said? Here's a blank check. Here's a blank check. You fill in the amount. You write whatever you want. Because if there's somebody I want to give me a blank check, it's God Almighty. Because that means that any amount that I put, anything, He can do it. What do you want me to do for you? Well, in case you ask, this is what we want. Now that you gave me the blank check, I'm here to fill in the amount. I love this. They replied, Let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left. And usually we stop right there. In other words, let me sit positionally. Most interpret. Most people interpret this particular text to be some kind of political position. But they fail to read the last three words of the verse. They weren't asking for a political position. They said, let, us sit on, let one of us sit on your right and the other in your left. In your glory. In other words, since you gave me the black blank check, God, I want to see it in your glory. Since you gave me freedom to ask you whatever, there's somewhere. See, I don't want to sit in prison. I don't want to sit in a poorhouse. I don't want to sit in traffic. I don't want to sit in a hospital. I want to sit in your glory. Because if I sit in your glory, because church, I can tell you why they said they want to sit in the glory. Because once you taste the glory of God, you don't want to sit anywhere else. The reason we're not asking to sit in the glory is we can't experience the glory. But when you experience the glory, there is anything you don't want anymore. Listen, there was a man named Moses that saw more signs and wonders than than we have in all our life combined. That was used to perform miracles. Used to, to stick his staff in water and turn blood. Strike it and water come out. All kinds of signs and wonders. But in the middle of all that, he goes up to a mountain and says, God, I'm not asking for more signs and wonders. I want to see your glory. Most of us would have thought that Moses had already seen the glory, but he knew there was more to God than meets the eye. I want to sit. In your glory. Some of us, we have to learn this. Most of us is God, oh, I just want to get by. <laughs> just want to kind of make it through life and make it through this particular season in my life. No, I want to sit in your Now I realize something. Why they said that. Because see, something happened when they came down the mountain that they couldn't do before they got up there. Because see, sometimes you're on this mountaintop and unfortunately we do have to come down. But just because you're coming down doesn't mean you're not carrying something. And when they came down, they came right 
into the middle of an argument. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we have a glorious experience, go home and go right into an argument? I hate that. I mean, here we have this glorious time with God, and all of a sudden, boom, flesh manifests itself. But here's the argument. There was a father who brought his demon-possessed boy to the disciples to be cured. And in all their phraseology, their right words, they could not cast the devil out of that boy. And now the Pharisees and the disciples are arguing why they cannot cast the devil out of him. Because here's what happens. When all you have is doctrine with no power, all you can do is argue Scripture. Oh, come on, church. God doesn't want this church to be arguing Scripture. See, when you live in an atmosphere of glory, nobody really cares. doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian. I used to be a Presbyterian, and I don't practice it anymore. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Pentecostal. In the atmosphere of glory, nobody really cares. I've got a boy that's demon-possessed that needs to be delivered. And if I, here I am arguing Scripture, I haven't changed anybody. Why do I want the glory? Because when he came down the mountain, he didn't stop at arguing Scripture to leave the boy in that condition. Oh, Jesus. And I'm going fast forward because there's a lot to this. He said, bring him to me. And he cast the devil out of that. And they leave. They're walking. Disciples pull Jesus aside. And they say, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast the devil out of this guy? We binded, we loosened, <laughs> we yelled, and we shouted. That devil still stayed in that boy. You know what I'm talking about. We laid hands on them, and we saw them shake, but nothing happened. He was in the same condition. What's the problem? Jesus makes his famous statement. These things only come out through fasting and prayer. Now, I want you to see this because you may not know this. Usually, when you and I fast and pray, we fast and pray for a specific need. Something we want God to move on our behalf. In other words, we isolate our fasting and prayer for one particular incident that we want breakthrough or a miracle for. Did Jesus fast and pray to deliver that boy? He did not, did He? So what was He attempting or what was he communicating to his disciples? He's communicating this truth. See, fasting and prayer is a spiritual discipline. See, and every time you do, see, it's like every time you go to the bank, a lot of times what you'll do, not every time, but most of the time, you'll go into a bank and you'll make a deposit. Right? And you'll deposit your paycheck or your deposit cash, whatever you're depositing. But sometimes you go to the bank to make a withdrawal. But here's what Jesus was saying. See, every time you come to church, you're making a deposit in the kingdom of heaven. 
Every time you're tithing, you're making a deposit in the kingdom of heaven. Every time you're giving, every time you're witnessing, every time you're serving, every time you're fasting, every time you're praying, you're making a deposit in heaven. So these things, fasting and prayer, tithing, the disciplines that we do, aren't just for one incident. They are a lifestyle. And because they were a lifestyle with the Lord, at the moment when a need need arised with a demon-possessed boy, all Jesus had to do was say, it's time to withdraw the money. It's time to withdraw. See, I'm here to tell you right now, if we don't have nothing in the bank of heaven, we can't withdraw it here on the earth. But if you've got something in the bank, oh, come on, church. If you got something in the bank and you've been fasting and praying and you know all of a sudden because you lived a lifestyle, you walk up to somebody who needs a miracle. I need to pause it. I need to withdraw right now, God. And that's what he was saying. He was saying as you live a lifestyle of fasting and prayer, what you do is you make an eternal deposit. And there comes a time when you need to withdraw. All Jesus did was withdraw in power. Now they saw that. That's why they said, we want to sit in your glory. Because the result of sitting in your glory is a lifestyle that puts an eternal deposit so that when I'm on earth, I bring glory on the earth. Now listen, the glory of God's going to come here tonight. It's going to come here tonight. Notice what Jesus is saying here. You don't know what you're asking. In other words, I'm not angry that you're asking to sit in my glory. Because some, some people can pull something out of the Old Testament, out of Isaiah, where God said, no one can share my glory. Well, Jesus came to give us His glory. Oh, come on. He prayed in John 17 that, you know what, the same glory I have, put it on them. In other words, I came to reveal glory and show my glory with my people. He said, but, He tells these disciples, you don't know what you're asking. And then he makes this statement and asks them this question. And I like the way the new King James. He says, Are you able to drink the cup I drink? And be baptized with a baptism that I'm baptized with. Everybody say the cup. Everybody say the baptism. Now most of the time, when this text is preached, they talk about the cup of his suffering. But you must understand that Jesus on the cross, took the suffering so that you and I would not have to suffer. So what is this cup that he's telling you, can you drink this cup? What's he talking about? He's not talking about the cup of suffering. He's talking about the cup of blessing. Church. Because if you sit in his glory, guess who gets blessed? If you sit in His glory, He imparts His anointing. He imparts His power. He imparts everything that is in His life. And can you drink that cup? Because it's not so much how you handle the crisis, it's how you handle blessing. In other words, you know what? You sit in my glory, you know what's going to be released? That means that everybody you pray for gets healed. That, that means that means when you prophesy, words come to pass. 
That means when you, when you bind demonic power, demonic power submits to my name. Can you drink the cup? Because here's the thing, church. God has a cup for KC. God has a cup for this place. And He's asking, if I bless you, because not only is the cup a cup of power, but it's the cup of influence. It's the cup of financial blessing. Because what if God made you a billionaire tonight? Would this still be your home church? Would you still pay your tithe? Would you still come up and worship like you do? Are you hearing me? Because you did it when you had nothing. But now that you drank the cup and got the fullness of God's blessing, is the cup going to change who you are? Come on, church. God's got a cup for you. But He doesn't want to give you the cup and have you drink the cup if you can't handle the blessing. And what God is positioning the church for right now, we've heard prophet after prophet about a move of God. And I believe God is wanting to send an awakening. But the real reality is He has to posture our heart that when He gives me the cup, when He gives me the baptism, because He was baptized without measure. In other words, he, there was no measure what He could do. He could walk on water. That means he wouldn't need a flight to Maui. He could just walk there. That, that means that, that whatever was in his way, that, that he would go right through. If your character doesn't line up with the cup that God has for you, the cup will kill you. Because here's the thing. We hear it all the time. That God anoints an individual. Man or woman heavily anointed. We see them being used by God. We see them drink the cup. But at the end of their life, their mind gets twisted. They, they start off, off right, but finish twisted. Their doctrine gets all messed up. And all of a sudden, it is no longer God's power flowing through them. Because pretty soon, they think it's them doing the miracles. Are you hearing me? See, you know why I want to sit in His glory? You know why Moses wanted to sit in His glory? Because he knew, I never want to get to the place where the people or myself are doing the miracles. Oh, come on, church! I never want to get to the place where I'm doing the prophesying and not Him doing the prophesying. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I mean, what would happen to you tonight? Okay, I'm going to baptize you without measure. Your life will change. <laughs> if God, if we drank the cup, everything economically in this valley would change. Because hundreds of thousands of people would be coming here because they would see the power and the glory emanating out of your life. And if you're, if you're not sitting in the glory, then when power's emanating on your life, you'll think you're somebody. You don't know what you're asking. Because listen, I want to give it. He wants to give it. But He wants to give it to people who can handle it. He wants to, he wants to give the cup. He wants to give them the baptism more than we've been asking him, but he's looking for a people. Can you handle it? Because not only that, you drink the cup, you drink the blessing, 
And there will be those that try to discredit you. What do you do when a person who the leadership says is an intercessor, but they walk in the pastor's office and said, oh, by the way, John Harkey, you're a false prophet. That happened to me. What am I going to do? Am I going to stand up and defend myself when I'm discredited? Or am I going to look through the eyes of Jesus and see that that individual needs deliverance and life and needs God just as much as I do? And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd have walked in the, I'd have walked in the, the pastor's office and called somebody a false prophet too. If I, but if I had gone through what she went through, how do I not know that I would respond that way? Are you hearing me? Can you drink the cup and not get bitter and not get offended when you're discredited? Paul said something. Very powerful. Very powerful. New King James. Now, he said, I exercise my conscience. Everybody say, I exercise my conscience. Now, the past several years in our country, people have been enamored by physical exercise. They want to get in shape. And live a healthy lifestyle. That is good. Right? That is a good thing. To be in shape. But notice what Paul says. He didn't say I exercise my physical body, although exercising your physical body is a good thing. What he is saying is there's a better thing. Because we hear about it on TV that a guy who's a wide receiver from some NFL team signs a $5 million contract and next time you know he's arrested for selling cocaine. Are you hearing me? Why? Why? Because he he refused, he exercised his body, but he didn't exercise his mind. Come on, church. Paul said, I exercise my conscience to be void. Everybody say void. Void means empty. And this is what I exercise to be empty from. Offense towards God and towards men. Because he understands I drank the cup that Jesus Christ has given me. But if I allow offense to get in the middle of my ministry, I will die in that offense. So what I have to do in the middle of life is I have to learn to exercise my thought life. Because, see, I don't have to go very far to get offended. I can get offended right here tonight. For something somebody said. I can get offended at the preacher. I can get offended at the preacher's wife. I can get offended at anything. I can get offended at where my armor bearer was tonight. I can get offended at all kinds of things. But I do know this. I can't afford to get offended. Because you know what offense is? Offense is mental laziness. Because, see, when, because you know what? Just like physical exercise, it takes a certain amount of discipline. It takes discipline to discipline this thought life. And the reason why people get offended is simply because they are mentally lazy. Can you drink the cup? <laughs> In other words, when you're pressured, when the pressure comes from the baptism and the anointing and the call on your life, 
bitter and out of mean, you're going to get bitter again. What happens when you're not received? What happens when a leader lies to you? Well, church, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to you right now. See, if, see, if a leader lies to you, and I didn't drink the cup, and be baptized with his baptism, I'll want to call fire down on that leader. Oh, you know it, church. Oh, you know it. That's it. Get him, God. If I'm not walking right when they when she calls me a false prophet, I want to call fire down on her and her whole family. Can you drink the cup? Church, do you realize the prophet Elijah calls fire down? Given a measure of anointing unlike any prophet before him. And there's a shift in his heart. And then, next thing you know, Jezebel wants to kill him. He's running off. And he says, I'm the only one left and they're out to kill me. Elijah, you know what happened with you? You just drank the cup, but did not have the character to finish your assignment. Because what you did is you didn't run from Jezebel. You ran from your own vain imaginations. Because if you could call fire down from heaven, oh, come on, church. What was that woman doing to you? You allowed your, you, 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 were, you, were, you were facing your imagination and you were trying to run away from yourself. You drank the cup, but you haven't changed yet. Now, I said all that to tell you this. Of all the stories that the Apostle Paul could have pulled out in Scripture, he pulls out this one in Romans 11. And he makes a statement. He says, And Elijah pleaded against Israel. Everybody say, pleaded against Israel. Wait a minute. I thought Israel was God's people. I thought Israel was the apple of his eye. And here is a prophet with that kind of anointing pleading against God's people. The problem isn't God's people. The problem is the spirit of Jezebel. Instead of attacking the spirit of Baalism and Jezebel, he starts attacking people. Oh, come on, church. And when you start attacking his people, you are no longer qualified to, to be handle what God has for you. Why do you think God said, Elijah, go anoint Elijah as your successor? Because if he's got that kind of heart, what happens if I allow him to call fire down again? He might call fire down on somebody I want to heal or somebody I want to save. You know what I'm saying, church? Can you drink the cup? I honestly believe with all my heart that the reason why Elijah had to anoint Elisha, that he was not in the state. I'm not going to let you have that kind of anointing and abuse it. Because if you read Romans 11, you'll read down there that he forgot the grace of God. Elijah forgot that the reason I can call fire down is not because I fasted and prayed. Not because I have this awesome prayer life and I'm this awesome prophet. It happened because of His undeserved grace and favor on my life. Can you drink the cup? Are you able to handle it? I love this. They said to Him, We are able. 
gets me excited. In other words, when God gives me the cup, I want to say, God, I'm able. The NIV says, we can. How many say you're able tonight? You're able. You're able to take the blessing. You're able to take the prosperity. You're able to, to not get offended. You're able to handle the baptism without measure. I am able. I'm able, God. And let me tell you, church, those men, those men, even though they started out a mess, they finished strong. They were able. We don't read about them on Charisma Magazine failing God. We see them succeed at every place. Because when they drink the cup, it did not go to their head. He says, Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized baptized with the baptism I'm baptized. In other words, you're going to get that because you asked for it. But to sit on my right and to my left, he says, this is what he says. He says, these places belong to those who may have been prepared. That means something to me. Somebody is going to sit there. Somebody, it has been prepared for. I say, God, why not it be us? Why not it be us? Why not it be us? Why not it be this people? Why not it be this church? Why not it be KC? Why not it be this people? Why not it be you? Why not it be you? Because God said it has been prepared. Oh God, could it be that if you've been preparing it for me? Oh, come on church. Because you know what it means to sit on his right and left? That means I have authority, church. And then I'll have the kind of authority, but I won't abuse it. I'll know how to use it because I'm sitting in His glory. Giving, uh, giving authority without sitting in His glory could harm people. Oh, Jesus. I love this. When the ten heard about it, this. <laughs> they became indignant at James and John. Do you realize that some people just don't like you to be blessed? <laughs> they just don't want Pastor Ava and Vince blessed. Well, guess what? Sorry. <laughs> God's going to bless them anyway. <laughs> Come on, church. God's going to bless them anyway and give them a nice home in Anchorage. I know that. A nice, beautiful home close to the church. You watch and see. You know why? Because they drank the cup. Because they drank the cup. Are you hearing me? They didn't care what it tastes like. It used to taste like it used to taste like a like a tropical drink. Now it tastes like an ice cube. Come on. You know what I'm saying? But you know, I'll tell you right now, I would tell you right now, they'd rather be here, come on, in God's glory than anywhere else. Let me, are, they, are you hearing me? Because here they came, came, the rest of the disciples. How dare you ask that? Well, you know why they were indignant, angry? Because James and John thought about it before they did. (laughs) Come on, church. 
maybe the reason God's answering your prayer is because you were the first person to think about it before anybody else. Oh, come on, church. Everybody else was still having their pity party about their problem while you were sitting up in the glory. Are you hearing me? Everybody was losing their appetite while you were having a feast with God. And oh, come on, church. Hey, I grew up in Casey. I sat there. I ran around the church. When I was when I was 22, I didn't get fully saved. I got half saved. I had a pot problem. Because <laughs> when you come from Maui, come on, you have issues. Then, then one day, they, they, some of you might have heard it, some of you probably haven't, but then one day I, I, I got saved at KC, but it wasn't KC, it was called First Assembly of God Maui back in the day, and, and I, and I got saved, 1984, and the first thing I do is Pastor Am Fujii says, John Harkey, I want you to be an usher. And so I'm ushering. My kids aren't born yet. So this is Charlie's 25, so it's it's a while back. And so my wife and my wife and I uh, go over to Pizza Hut in Maui to have a pizza after church. And I don't know how this happened. <laughs> we both opened the car door of our little rice rocket at the same time. Passenger side and my door. When we opened the door, the wind of the enemy came into that car and blew out my stash of pot right in front of my wife's feet so she can see it. pizza that afternoon. There was no atmosphere of glory. You just got busted, son. My wife picked it up. What is it? Where'd you get it? I got it at church. (laughs) Oh, come on, church. Not everybody's in the glory. Not everybody's casting demons out. Oh, come on, church. what she did? No pizza. We go home. She gets on the phone. She calls Pastor Ann. And said, you know that usher that you just, that you just recruited? He's a pothead. And if he smokes pot, he might steal the money, money to buy his pot. Now, women, most of you would not have the boldness to turn him in. Because you're worried about how he's going to react rather than setting him free. Oh, come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? My wife didn't call Pastor Ann to shame me. She called Pastor Ann to set me free. So guess what? I got kicked out being an usher. That Sunday was my last day.
But I'll tell you what happened. That was the last time I touched the stuff. I didn't want the pot anymore after that. I wanted my marriage. And now when I go back to Maui or go back to Hawaii, they don't call me a pothead. They call me a prophet. (laughs) Oh, so don't get mad at me. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? I've been there. I've done that. And I'm telling you right now, there is a God that wants you to give you a cup to drink. And if you drink that cup, it'll change your very life. I don't care where you at in your life right now. There is nothing God can't do. Because God will take your brokenness, take your weakness, and turn it around. Then He says, Jesus called them together. I'm not ready to wrap this up. I, I know it's broke long, but I'm going to He calls them all together, and he calls all his disciples together, and he says, You know that those, because, you know, they've been talking about right and left, sitting in glory. They're jealous of their prayer requests. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now Jesus is shifting. He's shifting from the 